Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Let's pray for us real quick. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Jesus, I pray for a good 15 to 20 minutes of energy and attention and your spirit to move with great power in us as we study your word. And so, Father, help us to fix our gaze on you because as we do that, you transform us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And so, earlier this week, our adult, our adult discipleship team at Fellowship, we met on Tuesday. Uh, for our, we have a regular weekly meeting on Tuesdays, and uh, adult ministry at Fellowship is college and up. Um, and so all of our pastors, we get together in a room and we just see how our ministries are going. We encourage one another. We talk about discipleship and formation at fellowship, how we want to do that. Um, but this week, uh, RD came in and um, he's the boss. He's our boss. So we have to do whatever he says. He decided that we would all spend some time reading Mark chapter 1 together. Um, and then we would just jot down as many kind of observations about Jesus' values and then what Jesus was doing. Um, and begin to talk about some of those things together. Um, and as we, we, we popcorned around, we were, we were seeing what each other was learning from this, uh, sh this chapter in Mark. And there was a lot of really good insights. People were bringing some things out um, that were really, really true. And one of these themes and truths that was mentioned in a lot of Mark 1, I think it, it, transferred, it transformed a lot about what I wanted to talk about in this session. Um, I, if I'm honest, I had, I had a pretty good idea on... Tuesday morning, what I wanted this last session to be about. I knew it was about his power, um, and I knew that I wanted to communicate where power, where our spiritual power is found in Jesus, ultimately. Um, but I left that meeting with an impression from the spirit of, maybe I need to switch it up. Maybe, maybe there's something else that, these, that my students needed to hear this weekend um, to kind of close out this final session of our fall retreat. And so, and the point, I've, I'll summarize it kind of shortly um, in, this, in this session, it's this. The power of God is found primarily in the presence of God. So the power of God is found primarily in the presence of God. So even for Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the hustle and bustle of life and ministry, even in the midst of all those things, he was unapologetic about time alone in the presence of his Father. It was a non-negotiable for Jesus. And we saw that in the verse that we just read, where it said what? Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. The, the text wants to emphasize that word often. In other words, Luke is telling us that this is a common occurrence in the ministry and life of Jesus. It's a part of his philosophy of ministry. It happened so much that he had to make sure, Luke, the very detailed historian, made sure I need to communicate this point to my readers because they need to know it about Jesus. And John Tyson is a pastor in New York City. He's in a sermon series called The, the, the Jesus Stuff where they're talking about discipleship and formation to Jesus, uh, John Tyson. Uh, and he had a sermon Artie is actually the one who told us to listen to it. And I was like, I need to listen to that. And he, he, called, he had a sermon entitled The Secret Place where he sought to highlight the, this reality that the power of God is often found in the presence of God. And if we wanted to be faithful in our walks with Jesus, or fruitful and useful in the mission of Jesus, we needed to be uh, regularly in the, in the presence of God. We needed to, as Jesus did, withdraw and find time with our Father. And because the reality that John communicates over and over in his sermon is that the power necessary for us to have a faithful and fruitful life with Jesus 
can only be found when people are, are resilient and steadfast and going to their secret place with God. The secret place being ultimately time alone with him at his feet, in his word, in prayer, and in, in, in hearing his spirit. And so we've journeyed through these various considerations of Jesus. And I, I strategically put this one last to kind of close it out as we go back to our normal rhythm of life tomorrow um, to focus on this, this, let's focus on this, what was Jesus' source, source of power? Ultimately, Jesus was God in the flesh, all power. And he, it says in Colossians 1 that he created the heavens and the earth, that he sustains, sustains it by the word of his power, it says in Hebrews 1, 3. But in a real sense, Jesus, though he was fully God, all-knowing and all-powerful, he was fully man too at the same time. And so he had the limitations and needs just like us. And what we see in the gospel accounts is that Jesus often needed time alone with his Father in his presence to be filled with, the, with, with energy and power and resilience and endurance for the long haul of ministry. And so if, it's that, if that's true about Jesus, that his power stemmed from time alone with his Father, why would it be different for us if we, if we say we're his disciples? And so this morning, in the short time that I have, I only have a, a few points for us that we're going to walk through that um, I hope uh, they're going to be helpful for you, not only as you seek to know Jesus, but also as you seek to be used by him, seek to walk, seek to walk out his mission as well. And so with that introduction, let's also go to Mark 1. Uh, we've been in Mark 1 a lot this, this um, weekend, but it's, in verse 35, we'll read a few verses. It says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, saying, or, or searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. This, this all looks really familiar. It, Jesus, in the early morning, we just read that in, in Luke 5. While everyone is asleep in the hustle and bustle of ministry success. Jesus' ministry at this point, Mark is, is a really fast-paced book, and, and Jesus is often in, in Mark's gospel kind of presented as this holy man, this, this miracle worker. People were flocking to him. Ministry was very successful for Jesus. And in the midst of that, where's Jesus found? He's found sneaking away from the people to a deserted place, that secret place, to spend time with his father. And so here's the first point for us this morning. This, the, uh, the source of strength in Jesus' public life stemmed from Jesus' private life. Or you could also say Jesus' inner life. So the source of Jesus' public life stemmed from his private life, his inner life. And if any of us wish to be useful in this mission with Jesus, we, we have to be cultivating a healthy inner life. John Ortberg would call it a, a connected soul. A whole soul, uh, um, an inner life with Jesus. And the question is like, why would this be drastically important? Why would we want to make this time, daily time in this secret place where we get away in the presence of God? Why is this so necessary in our walks with Jesus? Well, I'm going to have a few reasons. You'll see them on the screen. We're going to walk through them kind of quickly, but it's going to um, hopefully come together at the end. But the first one would be this. We need to be reminded of our identity in Jesus. We need to spend time in the secret place with Jesus because we need to be reminded of our identity in Jesus if we want to be fruitful and useful. We can just go back to the beginning of Mark 1. The first mention of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark 
is, found, is, um, is Jesus being found in, in, uh, by John the Baptist and being baptized. Um, before he does any ministry, before he begins his public ministry, he, he's baptized by John the Baptist. And when Jesus gets baptized, what happens? We, we hear this voice from his heavenly father affirming him in his identity in verse 11, where he says, as soon as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So God the Father, in Jesus's, this is kind of his preparatory moment of ministry, he gets, uh, God the Father affirms his son that you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That is your identity. And it's not only then, that, it's only then that Jesus is then ready to be commissioned to go begin public ministry. Because the reality is God the Father is declaring the same thing over us if our identity is in Jesus. The same thing he just declares that Jesus' baptism is true of those who are, who's, as it says in Colossians 3, their life is hidden with Christ and God. And so, as we seek to leverage our lives, we want to leverage our lives to know Jesus, but also make him known to others. We need to be reminded often of our identity as a beloved son and daughter of God, adopted into his family. God is fully pleased with us, rejoicing over us in the midst of our sloppy, messy pursuit of him. And we need to know that before we can ever do anything else because your identity, it fuels every single aspect of not only who you are, but also what you do. So your identity, it doesn't just impact who you are, but it also impacts what you begin to do. And that source of our identity can only be found where? When we can get into a place where we can hear the voice of God. And like I said in session two, God's voice is often in the quiet place the secret place where we get away from the hustle and bustle where we can, we can listen to him. And as I, as I think about why Jesus would often throughout the gospels, he would find time to kind of sneak away to be in, his pre, in, the, in the presence of his father. Jesus would sneak away from the crowds and the people and the successes of ministry. I think that's one of the reasons why. Now I know that's a sanctified imagination is what we would call that. We're kind of guessing. But I think one of the reasons would be is like I, Jesus in that moment of weakness needed to be reminded of who he was and to be empowered by time alone with his father. And I think we need the same. But the problem is that we often um, begin to find or forget our real identity and begin to live out one of these kind of phony ones that we cultivate. I tell students all the time, we need to live out who we actually are to God. God sees us right now in this moment as a chosen, um, redeemed, sanctified, glorified uh, human. Even though we're not yet that, that's how God sees us. Because when God looks at us, that's what it means for us to be united with Jesus in our identity, is that God sees Jesus as righteousness, not us. And so that's our actual identity. God, I am seen as holy and righteous, even though I'm not. And now I live out of that identity. Live out your actual identity, not one of these kind of, as uh, one of our counselors at fellowship would say, this grotesque identity that we kind of make of ourselves. That, that grotesque identity that doesn't really measure up to what we want it to be. And the reality is that, man, the Bible, it declares so much about our identity in, in Jesus, that our life is hidden with Christ, or in Colossians 3 as well, it says that uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. And all that means is that Man, when God, he sees us, there, there's these declarations that he's making over us. It's those things that are most true, even if we don't see it. It's that already, yet, but not yet motif of the scripture. You're already redeemed, yet you're still broken and sinful. You're already um, seated with Christ in the heavens, Ephesians 2, yet you live in a broken world now. And so 
I know some of this might be mysterious and, and kind of paradoxical in the moment, but that's who you actually are. Eve, you are who God declares you to be, even if it doesn't, you're, you're not exactly there physically yet. God, I am this. This is, this is true about me, though I still experience the brokenness daily. So again, live out who you actually are in your identity, not out of the lies and flesh. You need, to be you need that time in the secret place with God. You need to be reminded often because you will forget. Our hearts are quick to forget. So that's the first point. Secondly, we need to be reminded of our neediness and our weakness. We need to be reminded of our neediness and our weakness. So some of y'all might be looking at me and you're like, Brian, you just said all these incredible things about our identity and who we are and the power we have in that. But then now it seems like this seems to be in conflict with the point you just made about us. If we're not fighting to get in the presence of God often, our flesh will begin to try to find confidence and power in itself. Because we live in a world that constantly tells us that we have all we need inside of us. All the power that you need is, is just in you. You just need the, the power of positive thinking or you need to get, uh, tie your bootstraps and get to work really hard. It's in you. You, can, you just need to believe it. And to, you need to unlock this kind of secret potential that's kind of waiting to come out of you if you would just set your minds to it. In other words, you don't need anyone or anything else. Everything that's necessary for you to flourish is found within you is what our world is bombarding on us. And sometimes I think that thinking can kind of sneak in. It's, it can sneak in into our walks with Jesus. It can sneak into how we commune with him. We begin to trust our gifts, our skills, maybe um, even trusting in ourselves, believing that in us we have this power already without God's presence. We don't need that. And I don't think there's anything that's more kind of counter Bible or counter Christianity or counter gospel than that, than self-reliance, self-confidence, self, um, self-centeredness. And we'll be looking at a passage in Jeremiah. This was a, a, a passage I, I remember I, really early on in my ministry career. I, uh, this was one that a guy shared with me and I, and, I, and I began to memorize it and kind of nail it down as a constant reminder because even me as a pastor, I'm, I'm prone to, to run to my, my gifts and my, and my, um, my own strength. I'm, I'm, I'm prone to run to, Brian, you, you can do this really well. Trust in that and, 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 and ministry will be successful for you. But this text will say something differently. It's Jeremiah 17, beginning at verse five. It says this. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places in the wilderness and in an uninhabited salt land. That's, 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 where, he will, that's where he will stay. Every time I read that, I think it challenges me because um, it pricks this prideful, self-sufficient heart that I, that I love to kind of operate out of. Um, resting in my gifts rather than um, resting in the power of God. Actually, God wants to use our weaknesses to bring about his, his power. He wants us to actually walk in our weakness, not our strength. So when I operate that way, I'm at, that in the self-sufficiency, the self-confidence, I'm actually working contrary to the way Jesus wants to work. I'm, limit, I'm actually limiting my usefulness. I'm limiting my fruitfulness, my maturity, my growth, my formation, my abilities to actually to help others like y'all be formed in Jesus' image. A heart that walks in this kind of confidence in the flesh 
The text says they will cease to bear fruit. It says they will not see any good come. The text says that this is that, this lasting good, that you're not going to experience any of it. But let's see how Jeremiah compares this man, the self-sufficient man, with a different kind of man. Look with me at the beginning of verse 7. It says this, But blessed is the, one, is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. He does not fear when heat comes. Why? Because his leaves will remain green. He's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's like a total 180 degree turn. Jeremiah is comparing and contrasting the usefulness and the fruitfulness of two kinds of people. The self-sufficient, arrogant, self-confident, and the God-confident, God-needing, and, and walking in weakness man. That's why we need daily time in the secret place. That's why we need daily time in the presence of Jesus because it shows us our neediness. It shows us our, our brokenness, our, 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 our need for him to, to work in us. It helps guard our heart from a self kind of ex exalting, self-sufficiency, and, and we're, we're, when we're walking in that, we're, we're actually not gonna bear much fruit. Jesus will not bless something if it's not done his way. He might bless it for a season. You won't bear lasting fruit. So the presence of Jesus, it shows us our weakness, our neediness, and that's when we become fruitful. That's when we become useful and powerful ultimately to God because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 that God's power is made perfect where? In our gifts, in our charisma, in our self-sufficiency, in our ministry success itself? No, he says God's power is made perfect, or you could say God's power is made known in his people in their weakness. So there's a theme throughout the scriptures of how God often takes his people through the wilderness before he commissions them. You'll see it, it's a motif all throughout the, the biblical narrative. You must go through the wilderness before you get to the promised land. Or you could say God often takes people um, through, through, through an encounter in, of crossing the Red Sea in the wilderness uh, for 40 years before they'll ever enter into the, the promised land of Canaan we see the, in the story of the Israelites. Think about David, years on the run from Saul because, he, he, because Saul wished to kill him. He living, David was literally living in caves in the middle of the wilderness in hiding. And it's actually in his hiding that he, write, he writes a majority of his psalms. Not when he's king, but when he's in the wilderness. Think about Joseph. Becomes a slave to Pharaoh before he becomes Pharaoh's right-handed man. Think about Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness before his public ministry can begin. You want to know why one of God's main avenues of formation is the wilderness? Why God often takes us through suffering and trial to kind of build us up, to prepare us for ministry, our life? It's because it's only in the wilderness will his people see that they need him. Sometimes God has to take you into a desert to reveal your need for him. It's only in the wilderness that we begin to see our gifts themselves, they will not be sufficient. It's only in the wilderness when we fall, that we'll begin to fall on our face begging for God to actually lead us. It's only in the wilderness that our weakness will be made evident. And when we see our weakness, we'll cry out for God's strength, aka his spirit, and then we'll, we'll, we'll cease to begin to rest in our own strength and power. So secondly, 
why we need to spend time in God's presence. It shows us our weakness and our neediness because that's actually the avenue to being empowered. It's so, it's so paradoxical, so countercultural to how we think. And then the last one is this. We need, to be, we need uh, time in God's presence because it's there that we're reminded of our mission as well. We see it perfectly in Mark chapter one. In our last little section of Mark 1, 37 and 38, this is what the text says. And when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Why are you here praying? And he said to him, let's go on to neighboring villages. Let's go on to them that I may preach there too. Here's the point. This is why I've come. That last sentence. This is why I've come. Jesus, in this moment of Mark 1, he's experiencing tremendous fruit in Capernaum. He, there's people, literally, he just healed Simon Peter's mom of her, of her sickness, and people are literally flocking to the house, and it says Jesus is healing them all. And then after that, he gets away to the secret place, time, time alone with God in his presence, and then he says afterwards that we need to move to another village because I'm reminded of what my actual mission is. Time alone in his presence reminded him of his, it gave him an acute awareness of his purpose. And so it's oftentimes, that's how God often works with us because we can forget as well. In the presence of Jesus, we'll begin to be reoriented back to our purpose, to our mission as we learned last night to not only know God but to uh, make him known, make disciples as well. We can get caught up in other things and believe that that's why we're here. When we're spending time in any other presence but Jesus's, we'll begin to think, oh, this is why I'm here. Maybe it's success, it's wealth, it's validation, affirmation, pleasure, Social perception, a successful life, you name it. We'll begin to find our identity and purpose in that. And that couldn't be further from the actual truth because the Bible, it's unapologetic that God has made us. Genesis 1 uh, through 3, God made us for this purpose, it says in the catechism, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. That's why we were created. That's our chief end. And we do that as we seek to extend his glory, as it says in, in um, Habakkuk 3, uh, over the, 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 the world as the waters begin to cover the sea. We want his glory to cover the cosmos. And so here's a, a little recruitment pitch for our spring retreat, Grounded. So Grounded is a little bit different than Fall Focus. We do it at Fellowship. It's more like a mini conference, but we'll, it'll be Friday night, Saturday, and Saturday, and, and Saturday morning and Saturday night. But um, the whole retreat, Grounded, is gonna be about discipleship. The whole retreat's gonna be about disciple making, why it's important, how we do it, how, uh, what is it exactly, defining it. So again, I would say that's a, that's a, a soft recruitment to sh joining us at the end of February. But in a world that is trying to convince us of our why, the world's trying to convince you. Even That's exactly what college is. Let me prepare you for your why. We need time in the secret place with God to be reminded and reoriented back to our real calling. Life with God, knowing God, loving God, and then making God known, enjoying God forever. So as I close, I'm, I'm gonna have a couple of uh, exhortations before we move into our small groups. And, and really these exhortations, I hope they encourage you. They, they, they begin to challenge you with a, a little bit of like, hey, how do, what, what am I doing here? But here's the first one, they'll be on the screen. Be resolute in your pursuit of daily time in the presence of Jesus. Be resolute in your pursuit of daily time in the presence of Jesus. Be unapologetic about your secret place. You need it if you wish to have any private fruitfulness or public usefulness to Jesus. So the first one, be resolute in your pursuit of daily time. 
Secondly, live out, live out of who you really are to God. In other words, live out who you actually are in your identity, what God believes about you, what God see, how God sees you. That because of your union with Jesus, because of this gospel that you've believed, right now, God is looking at you, rejoicing over you as his holy and righteous new, crea new creation. Even if it doesn't look like it, that's who you actually are. And, that, and you, when you begin to live out of that, you'll begin to see fruit. Nail down this reality in your heart. And then the last one would be this. Find people who are serious about those first two and do life with them. Find people who are serious about those first two exhortations and, and, and do life with them. As I mentioned last night, we need people to remind us of the gospel. You just had, we had a panel of students, all of them communicating the same thing. I need community in my life because of what it, it, it can ultimately remind me of the gospel, my hope in Jesus, our identity in Jesus, that we, people that we can be safe and honest with, um, and a, a community that, and a people that give us time to actually grow the way in the, in the speed and the steadiness of Jesus. But we also need people who are also fighting for time in the presence of God often and a people who are resolved in who they are in Jesus if we're gonna live out this life together. We need those people around us. Because the reality is when you're following Jesus, you're gonna have seasons where these things are really easy and it, it seems to be coming naturally and then you're gonna have seasons where it's really hard. And it's in that season when it's really hard, you need to be able to go to that person in your life for them to remind you of your, your hope in Jesus, but then also begin to intentionally encourage you to continue, remain steadfast and movable in this uh, pursuit of Jesus. And then the reality is if you start doing ministry, if you start living on mission, it's really, really hard. You will be rejected. People will think about you a certain way. You will have a certain perception. You'll begin to believe the lies that they communicate to you. You can only be rejected so many times before it's just like, dang, this is awful. And then it's in that moment you need to have those people in your life. Me, there's guys I call often where I'm like, this is not working. And then they remind me of my hope in Jesus. Brian, your identity's in him, not your mission. And then now live out of that identity and that motivation and continue to fight, continue to trudge, continue to till the, till the soil and continue to do the hard work of ministry. So the source of our power in this Christian life, it's not actually primarily in us, it's in the empowering of God's spirit that's only attained in this presence of God at his feet. If we try to live our life without being in the presence of Jesus, we're not gonna succeed in any meaningful way. You might succeed in some ways, but it won't be meaningful. We'll begin to trust in our own strengths and our charisma, working contrary to the ways of Jesus and working contrary to what Jesus wants to accomplish. We'll begin to run ourselves ragged, trying and trying to manufacture what only the Spirit can produce. Or we'll give up altogether. We'll say, you know what? Because Jesus, this, I want your promises, but I, don't, but I, I, I can't attain them unless I'm in your presence. I, so again, we'll, we'll begin to give up altogether because we want the promises of Jesus without the presence of Jesus. That's the Western church, 101. They want the power and the promises of Jesus without the presence of Jesus, life with him. And so Jesus, he's eager to meet us. He's, he's eager to meet us, supply us, empower us, and ultimately use us, but it's on his terms, not ours. And so again, I say it, make it your goal to run to the feet of Jesus and allow his presence to do what only his presence can do.
as we go back to our campuses um, this week. We go back to the normal rhythm of a college student. Um, you need to be reminded often of your need for the feet of Jesus, your identity in Jesus, and to find others around you who, might do, who are doing the same. But I'll pray and then I'll give a couple of instructions for groups and then we'll close this thing out. Um, but Father, I thank you for time alone in your word. Um, Jesus, what a gift it is that you actually long to know us and walk with us. You actually want to commune with us. And you've invited us to this place, this secret place where we can come and sit at your feet to be reminded of who we are, to be, to be reminded of what we need, and then to be reminded of our mission. And so Jesus, as these students go home, uh, maybe the, the, the right exhortation wouldn't be, oh, I need to spend seven days a week in the Bible. It might be, man, if I do it three times this week, that's a win. And so Jesus, or maybe it's, oh, I don't really pray. It's not, let me pray every day for 20 minutes. Maybe it's, I could, man, Jesus, let, help me pray for a minute each day. Or maybe it's, man, Jesus, I never really silent my life. I never really um, try to walk in some solitude. I'm always in the hustle and bustle. The, the, the response probably shouldn't be, let's go do a weekend retreat away in the mountains by myself with no phone. That's probably not where they're at. But it might be just sitting silently in their dorm room or in their house for a minute and, and just eyes closed with a posture of receiving and allowing your spirit to speak. And so Jesus, we just pray that we would be men and women resolute in this secret place because we know our public usefulness is only um, made powerful in, in private, inner, connected soul with you and with your people. And so Jesus, I pray that you would empower us to do that. And, and it's in your name I pray, amen. And so